0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, we're going to continue our study. For the last several weeks, we have been looking at discipleship. We've been looking at once we're saved, what does God have for us? He saved us. God desires, we see it all throughout the Bible, from the beginning all the way through, we find that God desires to spend eternity with mankind. That's why he so that's why he sent Christ. That's why he died for our sins. That's why he paid that sin debt so that, that uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that's God's desire for you and for me and for the entire world. He sent Jesus Christ. But once he saved us, if, if, if that's all he wanted from us, once he saved us, then he would call us home. But once we're saved, he leaves us here upon this earth. And the reason why he leaves us here upon this earth is because God desires for us to take the gospel message and 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 become disciples so that we could disciple others. That's God's plan. And we looked at this, we saw the command... Right? We saw, we saw not only the command, we saw also, um, uh, the focus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We saw that this takes a commitment. It's not easy being a disciple. It's not easy. It takes, it takes a commitment. It takes nothing to merit salvation. It takes nothing on your part to be saved. But once you are saved, it does require for us to, to uh, have a commitment. It's not easy following Christ. As we looked at the commitment, we looked, I believe last week, we looked at a relationship with Christ, and and he said, abide in me. We saw that in John chapter 15, abiding in Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. We cannot live the life that God intends for us to live as a disciple on our own. You don't have the strength. You don't have the power. You you must abide in him. And we're going to see that a little bit, I think, a little bit later on here tonight as well. But I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And um, we're going to look uh, this evening just at the disciplined Christian life, a disciplined life. And someone, uh, matter of fact, Rob and Rob Graham and I had lunch. Uh, when was that, Rob? Yesterday. It was so good I forgot when it was. We um, had lunch together, and, and Rob was talking about processes. He's a process guy, and you put things in place in order to get things done. And 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 um, he was lecturing me on processes, right? And and what's that? Not on housework, yeah, that's what your wife had said. He doesn't do any housework. He wishes. He wishes he'd have some processes in that. but but just that daily and maybe another word for that would be discipline. I, I discipline myself to to do things. You discipline yourself to get up. you discipline yourself to read. you discipline yourself to do the things that are necessary to do. And so tonight, I want to look at the disciplined life. in in First in Corinthians chapter number nine, and let's begin reading in verse number 23, in this I do for the gospel's sake. This is Paul speaking. He says, this I do for, for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And he asks this question and then, and then gives them this, this shot, like, then just run. And don't you know that, that uh, you know, the one that rain, uh, runs receives a prize? And, and so run. Run this race that ye may obtain. In, in verse number 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I, therefore, so run. Not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air." But I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I had a conversation not long ago with um, a person, and we were talking about Christianity or salvation. He didn't use the word salvation, he said he'd been a Christian uh, a long time. And and so we were talking back and forth about that, and he had mentioned just about. you know, his, his testimony. And I said to him, what, so what is your testimony? How long have you been saved? And I gave him mine. I told him I was six years old, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And he was a little bit older, and he said this. He said, well, I've been saved as long as I can remember. I've been a Christian. He didn't use the word Savior. He said, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, I was, I was baptized and as, as, a, as an infant, and I've, I've been in the church, and I, 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 I've been saved as long as I can remember. And he and he and he really truly thought that he was a Christian because of his religious exercise or his religious practice. He was a good moral man, he was a good man. Matter of fact, he he was living a a good moral life. He he was working hard and, and his family was a good family, and 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 all the things that I knew about him were, were good, a good, decent man. But what he was thinking is that he was going to, uh, he was a Christian because of things that happened to him as an infant. And in reality, all of us probably know somebody like that. Somebody, when you try to talk to them about Christ, they, in their mind, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I'm, I'm baptized. I'm a part of the church. I know those things. And they they believe that religion is the key to heaven, not the gospel. They believe that religious exercise or religious behavior is the key to heaven, but they they don't understand that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us. It's not something that religion has done for us. It's not something the church has done for us. And I, and I understand I'm teaching tonight to 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 uh, uh, people that understand this in 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 our. Um, uh, meat eaters of the word, if I could use that, you you get this. But we live in a world that not all get that. We 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 live in a, a, a section of our of our community. Um, I would say in many cases is very religious. But it doesn't mean that they have salvation through Jesus Christ. In in Paul, he says this in verse number. Uh, look, look, if you would, and get in verse number 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake. And he goes through and begins to say, talk about this discipline, disciplined life that he lives. In verse number 27, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself become a castaway. That, that word castaway means disapproved. He says, I, I, I want to live in such a way where I'm, I'm, I'm living what I'm teaching, I'm living. What I'm preaching, because I never, I never want to be disapproved. I never want to stand before God and, and, and Him not be pleased with the life that I'm living. In 2 Timothy two fifteen, you don't need to turn there, but many of you probably know this verse. Paul tells Timothy, his student, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Paul is saying to Timothy, one way to be approved is through your study through an understanding of Scripture, a a disciplined life. It takes discipline to study. If you've ever studied or you've ever read, I I walked in the other day and one of my girls were, if their teachers are in here, I I hope they're not in here, but uh, one of my girls, I just won't tell you which one it was, was sitting on the couch with the TV on and um, doing some homework. Had a had a Chromebook out, and now you probably figure out which one it was, and and um, sitting there, and I said to her, I said, "What are you doing?" She said, "Studying." I said, "But you're not looking at what you're studying. You're looking at the TV. You're studying the TV, not what your homework is." I oh, know I'm 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 doing both, and I said I said, "Babe, it takes discipline to study. You need to turn that TV off and 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 concentrate on what you're doing. It takes a disciplined life." In order for us to be approved unto God, study to show thyself approved unto God. And and so our question tonight, what we're going to study this evening, and the question I want to ask you this evening as we're going through this, is this, and I want you to answer this at some point throughout this evening. Are you living a disciplined Christian life? I'm not asking you if you're saved this evening. Because I would probably say the majority, if not all, would say, yes, I'm saved. But are you living a disciplined Christian life? Are you living a life that's going to be pleasing to God? Or are you going to be a castaway or disapproved? Salvation was the beginning of it for us, but it wasn't the end. It isn't, well, I'm saved, so I'm finished. No, now that you're saved... Now that you're saved, now what type of life are you living? Are you living a life for Christ? In 1 Corinthians 9, 23, this is Paul's motive. It's very simple. He lays this out. He says in verse number 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake. That's Paul's motive. That was Paul's motive of living. That's what got Paul in the trouble he got into. That's what got Paul in prison. That's what got Paul stoned. That's what got Paul um, uh, uh, beaten. That's what got Paul uh, cost him his life. Because Paul's motive was this. I live for the gospel's sake. Paul, everywhere he went, he shared the gospel. Paul would go into the cities, and and he'd go into the temples and the synagogues, and what would he do? He would preach the gospel. He went to Mars Hills, and what did he do? He preached the gospel. Paul's whole motive in life was to to preach the gospel so that others would hear the gospel message. What he was trying to do is trying to take the religion that people had and, and try to introduce them to a Savior. Instead of them putting their trust in a, a religion, he was wanting them to understand that Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He rose again, and it's through a relationship with Christ that they need. In First number 25, Paul is, is um, looking then at runners and, 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 and using this analogy that runners run to win something that will soon be gone. It fades away. How many of you, when you were in high school, you participated in something that gave you a ribbon or a trophy? Anybody? Any really smart people or athletic people? How many of you have all of those ribbons and all of those trophies that you had when you tried so hard when you were in high school to get, you just had to have? How many of you still have all of those? You have all of them? We moved, you know, things would get broken. I remember when the, when the first time a trophy broke, you get all, excited, uh, all upset, and, and then it's like, oh, no big deal. The reality is we try so hard, and we strive to win these things, and, and my kids, especially this time of year, they're going to get papers and, 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 and certificates, and, and, and I think they, they've already got some, and I guarantee this, everything that they've already gotten from school uh, for, for certificates and things they've completed, some of them it's already gone. It's underneath the bed where nothing ever is to be found again. It's gone. It, it, it And so Paul is saying these runners, we they win something, but what, what they're going after is going to soon be gone. But but in twenty verse number 26, Paul is speaking of all of his being. He says this, look with me in verse number 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm going to run with all of my being. I'm going to do this. Do what? I'm going to live this life to preach the gospel, to give the gospel. My life is going to be a disciplined, life for Christ. With everything in me, I'm going to live this life. And Paul is not speaking of salvation there. What he's speaking of is Christian service. He's speaking of of what he's doing for the gospel's sake. And the question is tonight is uh, as well that I'd like us to answer is, what, um, what are we, we really truly have a desire to serve the Lord? Not serving him when it's convenient, but serving him at whatever cost. And see, that's the disciplined life as we're looking at discipleship over these several weeks is, do we really truly have a desire to serve him at any cost? What is it that would stop us from living that disciplined Christian life? Paul's going to address that here in chapter number 10. But true servants of the Lord, they're disciplined Christians. They're disciplined. When we hear the word discipline, how many of you, when you hear the word discipline, you automatically think of punishment? Anybody? Discipline, punishment. But Paul is not speaking of, in in, in the Christian life, the, the disciplined Christian life is not a punishment. It's not, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to live this life of despair and punishment. No, look with me in chapter number 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them That rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well-pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. To the intent, we should not lust after the evil things, as they also lusted. And if we're going to live a, a disciplined Christian life, I want to give you three things if we have time this evening, but we're going to start with number one is this. We must realize it's a privilege to live a Christian life, not a punishment. It's a privilege for us to live a disciplined Christian life, not a punishment. I understand that we go through trials. I understand it's not always easy being a Christian. My wife and I were having a conversation the other day, and um, I, I don't remember how it came up. And, and um, we were just talking about um, oh, a friend of ours that um, isn't much older than us, they um, they paid off their mortgage. And, and, and she said, could you imagine living? Well, you probably can, right? Could you imagine living with your mortgage paid off, with n- like zero debt? Like you got a paycheck and you said, it's all going into the bank. And we were talking about that and she was looking at, um, uh, we were just going over our budget and I said, well, you know, Michelle, we still have, you could have zero debt, and, and we still, you still have to pay your electric bill. You still have to pay your heating bill. And, and it was just the other night, and the heat the, the fireplace was on. I said, so if you really want to save money, turn that thing off. You know, get yourself a blanket to put around you, you know. I said, you still have to pay car insurance. And I went through the list of all the things that, no matter if you were debt-free or not, it still costs. And she says, I can't believe how much it costs to live. And and, and then we were looking at her budget, and she said, "Wow, that is a that's a lot of money to give. Like the average person um, that's not a Christian probably isn't giving tithing to their church. It's a lot of money, right off the top. And and and, but it's not a punishment to follow Scripture." We, we don't look at that and say, wow, listen, we, we, we want to live a, a, a disciplined Christian life, so we're going to tithe, and look what we miss out on. You see, tithing isn't a punishment. That's actually a privilege. Living the victorious Christian life in, in a disciplined life is not a punishment for the Christian. It is a privilege. Serving the Lord is not a punishment. Hey, Slim, would you do me a favor? Would you turn something on to circulate some air in here? How many of you are hot? I could tell you're already sleeping. I'm, hearing, I'm starting to hear some snoring, so I know we need to do something there, Slim. But I want you to write this down. Number one is we need to realize it is a privilege, not a punishment. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus, in verse number 13, Jesus calls some disciples. He calls these men to be with him. And I want you to think about that, the privilege of being called to be with Christ Imagine Christ saying, I want you to spend time with me. Everything I have, I want to invest in you. Everything my Father has given you, I want to give to you. The privilege that Christ would call us to be with him. And there's there's a call on every single Christian's life. If you're a child of God here tonight, if you're saved, and, 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 and you've got that settled, there is a call on your life to be with the Lord. And that means it's separated unto him. Listen, we're not missing out on anything when we spend time with Christ. We're not losing out on anything when we're abiding in him. We're not not being punished because we are living for Christ and walking with Christ and and living a disciplined life. That's not a punishment for any of us. The, the, The disciplined Christian life is a call to him. It's Christ then. When we when we abide in him, he crowds out the other things out of our lives that don't need to be there. It's not a list of rules. And listen, so often, and this is where we have to be very, very careful with religion versus what, what Paul is speaking about And in and, 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 and that time abiding in Christ. So often we think this, religion is just a list of things that we follow. And if I follow all of these things, then I'm a good person. And, and we can follow a list of rules and not abide in him. We can follow a list of rules, a, lot, a list of religious things, and not necessarily live a disciplined Christian life where we're walking with Christ. See, religion says follow these things, change the things on the outside. Where Jesus Christ, abiding with, in him, changes everything from the inside. It changes our hearts, not just a behavior modification. And so it's Christ. He begins to crowd out other things out of our lives. It's not just following a list of things. It's a call. Look with me. We were here last week. I want you to go back and save your place, if you would, please, in 1 Corinthians. I want you to go to John chapter 15. Stay with me here, please. I know it's hot in here. It's going to cool down. In John chapter 15, Again, we saw this last week, and I feel it necessary for us to read again this evening. In verse number one, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. How many of you love purging? You like when someone's cutting on you. But what does Jesus say here? You know what he does? He purges us. And what's the purpose of purging us? To punish us? It's to bear more fruit. You see, the disciplined Christian life is not about a punishment. It is, though, that when we're with Christ and abiding in him, there is some purging that takes place, but it's for the purpose that we may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the world which I have spoken, unto, uh, through the word which I have spoken unto you. And look what he says again in verse number four. And you probably have this outlined from last week, or, or underlined. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. We cannot bear fruit as a Christian unless we're abiding in Him. No more can ye accept ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. I want you to write this down in your heart, please, this evening. It's a privilege to walk with the Son of God. It's a privilege to abide and obey Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. Jesus says this, matter of fact, he says this about his burden, it's light. It's a privilege because his burden is light. There there are things in our lives that that are, are being withered away or being pruned, and the purpose of that in our life is because it's going to hinder us from being a disciplined Christian. There are things in your life that God is going to purge and going to cut away at and going to mold you because those things are what are are going to keep you from being the disciplined Christian that Christ desires for you to be. Don't, don't, don't get upset when God is purging things. Don't, 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 don't get offended when God is, is, is working. My wife said to me, "Is she even in here? Is she even in church? She's getting purged. She's probably in the nursery working." Michelle said this to me not long ago. She said, "You need to preach a message on Christians that are so easily offended." I said, "Well, you need to put one together, and I will." You know, I was with um, I was with a family member yesterday. We were at the funeral home, and, and uh, Emma said to me, she said, I, I don't, as I told you earlier, I don't want to do the funeral at the church because I don't want to come every Sunday and think that this is the place that Evan's funeral was. And I said, I get that. And I, I felt bad because I was kind of pushing her, like, no, we need to do this. The, we need a bigger place. And I was, I was giving her all the reasons that we should do it here that she was wrong. And then when she finally told me, I thought, I said, Emma, I'm so sorry. I understand. We're going to do it right here. One of the family members attend a church across town that has a large auditorium. And um, and so he was sitting there, and he said, you know what? Let me call my church. Let me call my pastor and see if we can have the funeral there. And all of us that were in the room said, what a great idea. It's big enough. It can handle everybody. And, and what a great idea. We'll go there, have the funeral there. You come back here, and we'll have the, lunch, uh, the dinner here. And, and we'll have the space, we'll have the parking. We said, what a great idea. And we were sitting there, and we said, this is a great idea. He got up, and he called. He said, um, came back in the room, and he said, they're going to check and get back with me. And, and, and a few minutes later, we were sitting there, and he looked at his phone. and It was someone from the church calling. He got up and um, took the phone call. And he came back in the conference room that we were in, and he opened the door. And I could tell the look on his face, he wasn't happy. And, and he kind of motioned to me, and I got up, and he... We walked out into the lobby there at the uh, funeral home, and he said this to me. He said, "I'm just going to vent. I'm so upset." So, what are you going to vent about? He says the church is doing some work in the auditorium, and they have a chapel, but they 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 aren't sure that they. And what he was saying was this: He said, "I have this need, and I presented this need to the church, and I'm so mad at my church because they don't. They're not letting us. They're not going to let us have the funeral here." And and, and he was upset. I looked at him and I said, okay. I said, you know, do you ever think about this? Maybe God doesn't want us to have the funeral there. Just because we want to do it and we had an idea to do it doesn't mean it has to happen. And I said this to him. I said, listen, don't get mad at your pastor and your church because they didn't do something you wanted them to do. And he just kind of looked at me. We walked back inside and a few minutes later we were talking and he, he um, going through something different with a room full of family there. And he kind of, he was sitting next to me, he kind of patted me on the arm and he, and he leaned in and he says, thank you for that. And I said, what? He says, now's not the time for me to get consumed and mad and upset and lose focus on what we're doing here. And I said, we talked a little bit later, and we talked on the phone later on that, uh, after, yesterday afternoon, and I said that to him. I said, you know, so often we as Christians, we don't get our way and we get so offended. And, and we're willing then to walk away from what God's trying to do because it doesn't fit what we want done. We've got our life the way that we want it to be lived and and, 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 and happening the way we want it to happen. And sometimes what God is doing is God is going to prune, God is going to cut, God is not always going to let you live the life the way you want it to live because if he does, you won't produce the fruit that he wants you to produce. You know, sometimes God puts obstacles in your life to prune you. God doesn't want us to be spoiled brat children that think that we always get our way. How many of you love to be around spoiled brats? I'm not asking if any of you have children that are, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Children that they get their way. They cry. If they cry enough and they pout enough, they get their way. We tell our kids, especially the youngest ones, if you cry enough and pout enough, you're going to get something. <laughs> but it's probably not going to be your way. It's going to be something. Listen, there's things that take place. In our life, God is allowed to prune. God is allowed to have control. God is allowed to do what he desires to do. And what we need to do is live a disciplined life, letting God have control of our life. The withering in our life by the Holy Spirit, it's not a punishment, but a necessary thing. In this situation, a few minutes later, after we were finished the, the pastor of this church called back. And he said this, he says, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. And I, and I get this, you know, it's, I'm going to change things to appease you, to not make you mad. And I said to him, I said, call your pastor back and tell him he doesn't have to do that. I said, we're just, we'll have the funeral right here. Because I believe this is what God wants us to do. We, we don't want to fight enough to get our way. We, we want God to work. We want God to prune us. We want God to have His way so that His will is done, not our will. In in, in, in the disciplined Christian life, it's a call to Him. Remember that. In that withering in our life by the Holy Spirit, it's not a, not a punishment, but it's necessary so that, it, that he can remove anything that is interfering with you from experiencing more fruit in your life. Do you realize this? Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. God wants us to bear much fruit And he is going to do anything he wants to. And we ought to allow him to prune us and mold us and shape us so that we can experience much fruit in our life. For what reason? That reason is this. Um, Look with me in verse number eight: Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. How is God glorified when you bear much fruit? I can't bear much fruit on my own. I can only bear much fruit by abiding in him. If I try to do it, it's for nothing. My life, your life, every single person life here this evening, your goal, your desire ought to be to live a disciplined Christian life so that you bear fruit. So when you do, God receives glory out of your life. But it takes pruning. Look, go back to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Are you with me? Are you cool? I don't mean like, you know, cool like Alan cool. I mean, is it cool in here? All right. Verse number 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Christ has captured you. The love of Christ constrains us. He drives things out of us, out of our lives, so that, that he can have control over us. He's constantly wanting more control. And what do we constantly want? More control. How many of you like it when you're out of control? We, um, my, I'm going to tell this story. Rob, I have even told you this story. We were at dinner at the Ram's house, and um, we left, and it was dark. And what's that main road that the, the Perrysburg schools are on coming? What is it? Road? Roachton Road. Well, on Roachton Road, there is a, there is a um, train tracks that, that um, if you hit them going about 55 miles an hour, you fly into the air. How do I know that? Because I had my family in my truck, leaving their house, it was, it was three in the back seat. One of them must not have been with us. Jacob must not have been with us because there was three in the back seat and three of us in the front seat, my, my wife, my daughter, and then the three other girls in the back seat. And we hit that. I didn't, know, I didn't know there was a train track there and I didn't realize it was up about 100 feet. And when I hit that, when I, I'm just riding along and all of a sudden I hear the girls scream, yeah! I was scared and I'm looking at the guy that I leased our truck from. Um, It's all fixed, it's good, it's all good. We We hit that train track, we were airborne. I was out of control. The kids thought it was awesome, I didn't. Be honest with you, for about, it seemed like about three minutes, but it was probably about three seconds, I was scared. I said, what just happened here? I'm not sure what we're going to come down on. I'm not even sure if we're coming down. I mean, I hit that thing and went airborne. The feeling of being out of control was the worst feeling I've ever had. And my kids remind me of that often now. Remember that time, Dad, that you hit that thing going 100 miles? I said it was 50, not 100, first of all. We were airborne, Dad, for like a day and a half. It was awesome. But hear me this evening. Christ, He drives things out of our life so that He can have control. He wants control, not us. Sometimes we've got to let go so that He has our life. Paul's motive here is to please Christ. The prize that He is speaking of is He's approved by Him, He's approved. Our motive ought to be the same, is to please Christ. The prize for the motive is that we are approved by him. We ought to live a disciplined life. For what reason? So Christ is pleased with us. How many of you like it when somebody tells you a great job? That's what we ought to desire from Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's in every area. And the only way that's going to happen in the disciplined Christian life is for Christ, for Christ to be in control. And so I find it's a privilege. It's not a punishment to live for Christ. It's a privilege to be with Christ. It's a privilege. The Son of God, the creator of this world, desires to spend time with me. It's a privilege. Number two, I want you to see something, though it's not only a privilege, it's also, it's perilous. It's a perilous life. In, in verse number one of chapter 10, we see chapters in verse um, uh, here, but when Paul obviously wrote this epistle, it just went on. It was a letter, not verse in, in um, chapter format. And so he goes right from verse number twenty-seven and goes into uh, chapter ten, verse number one. Moreover, brother, and I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all your fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and and all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, and, and all the all eat the same spiritual meat and all drink the same spiritual. Uh, drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But look with me in verse number five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. They all went through the same thing. How many times did we say all in the first four verses here? All. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. There, there's many that are, that are called to be with Christ but, but, but never live that victorious Christian life that he desires for us to live. They, they were never satisfied. You know, if, if we continue reading, you know what we find out, they were never satisfied with the Lord. The Lord was never enough. There's was never enough. They, they, what he did and what he had was never enough for them. And we studied through the book of Numbers uh, a little while back, and, 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 and we find that, that no matter what God did, it was never enough. Just being with him was never enough. Manna was never enough. And when, no matter what God did, the people always wanted more. And that attitude displeased God. And when we, when we meet, we must be satisfied with God. This evening, are you satisfied with God and his word? Or is there something more you're after? Are you just simply satisfied worshiping him and living a life pleasing to him? Is that satisfy you, or are you missing something out? If you think, if that's what life is, but I don't have this, then I'm, I'm missing something. We need to be careful not to create emotion. We need to learn to be satisfied simply with him. And Paul says this: in order for me to do that in verse number 27, I must keep my body in subjection or it will want more. How many of you have ever ever eaten yourself till you were sick? Because what you were eating was so good. You just couldn't stop. Just one more plate, right, Joe? One more plate of this really good thing. How many of you ate till you were sick in what you were eating that you loved so much you didn't want again? You're full. We need to learn to be simply satisfied with him, keeping our body in subjection, not allowing our body to want more. Christ and communion with Christ, it must be enough. The the disciplined life of the Christian must realize this, that just simply communing with Christ, that's what I need. That's the life I want to live. Look look with me in verse number 7. Uh, of chapter 10, neither be ye idolaters, or, or, or as we were some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He, he's saying this, the idolaters, something more than God. You know what idolatry is? God's not enough. There has to be something more. There has to be more. Now, we would see that and say, no, no, I, I would never live that life. But, but there are times that we as Christians, we want more than God. We're not satisfied. That's why, that, that's why so many Christians, You know, there's so much that, 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 that true Christians could do to reach this world for Christ. But you know what one of the problems is? The church has so much debt. The people have so much debt. There's no, there's no way that we could do more. Because we've gone after things and now we can't do what God's desiring for us to do. I've told you this before. I, I use this analogy. I, I, I met with a family, and it wasn't here in this church. It was a previous church that I pastored. I met with the family, a family, a young family. They were in their 30s, and I sat down with them. And, and I've not been in their 30s yet. I sat down with them, and I, and I said to them, tell, tell me what the problem is. And, and what it came out is they had about $50,000 worth of credit card debt. And so we don't see the light at the end of this. I said, what do you have You see, there are things, if we're not careful, we can say, God, this isn't enough, I need more. A spouse could say this, what my spouse is giving me isn't enough, I want more. And so they search it out in other areas. That's sin. It's sin. What God has given you, a disciplined Christian has to come to the realization that this is enough. What God has given me is enough. Our flesh always wants more. How many of you ever got a paycheck and you said, you know what, this is enough. I don't want any more. What do we say? It'd be nice to have a little bit more. All right? I, I remember we, we were at a restaurant and it was a nice restaurant and, and, and um, uh, we uh, ordered and the plates came out. You know what I, first thing I said is, that's, that's, a, that's a small portion. Isn't it funny if you ever eat at a nice restaurant, the portions get smaller? The price goes up, and I, I said, before I even tasted it, that's not enough. Where's the rest? I was talking to Tyler last evening, and, and I leased our, on my truck, and, and, and I can't wait for my lease to run out because the trucks, the newer trucks, are even going to be nicer. The newer trucks are going to have leather, aren't they? And bigger wheels. And what else are they going to have, Tyler? That's what you exactly right. Because I need those. Because my truck just isn't running right without leather. You get a new truck, and, 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 I, and, and this is this, I'm just confessing my sins. I, I got into my, my my new lease with Tyler, and that evening I called Tyler and I said, Tyler, I, I think I'd like another truck. I like the one with, you know, the it was really nice. The screen was like two inches bigger, and and it had a it had a window on the roof, you know, a sunroof. And I just need a brand new truck, but it didn't have a sunroof, and I needed that sunroof. You see, if we're not careful enough, is never enough. God is never enough. It's just who we are as human beings, always wanting more. We need to be disciplined. What God supplies, it's always enough. Anything more than what God wants for us becomes an idol. We we come to the place where we think that we can't live without this. And if we're going to avoid this lifestyle, we must live a disciplined life. Are you with me? It means this. We must abandon our will and accept all the treasures that are found in Christ. How many of you believe that there's treasures found in Christ? But unless we choose to live a disciplined Christian life, what we're saying is the treasures that are found in Christ aren't enough. I want the treasures found in this world. And the treasures that are found in this world are corruptible. Can't take them with you. They're going to burn. They're going to go away. But the treasures that are found in him are incorruptible. Look with me in verse number 8. We'll continue. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three in 20,000. What's he saying? They cast themselves into pleasure. You see, worship God, worshiping God was enough. They needed more. What, what God gives me and the satisfaction of spending time with him, what he gives me, isn't enough. I have to have something that pleasures my flesh. And so here they all fall in, in, in a day. There's, they're destroyed because of, of this flesh, this desire to commit fornication. Let's read in verse number 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. In in verse number 10, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed with the destroyer. Stop complaining. Stop being selfish. So what, you didn't get your way. So what, life isn't the way you want it to be. So what, somebody offended you. So what? Stop complaining. Stop stop accusing God. In Numbers chapter 21, we find fiery serpents bit them, and, 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 and when they complained, the manna wasn't enough. We want something else. We, we need to simply be satisfied with Jesus Christ. And listen to me, I understand something. That's not popular because right now in our flesh, we're saying, How dare he? I, I'm not asking for much. Listen to me, if you're asking for anything more than God's provisions, you are asking for much. And you're asking for something that's going to destroy you. And then we get to the place in life where we think it's owed to us, and we begin to complain when we don't get our way. How selfish. And and then you know what we do when we complain we don't get our way? We start telling other people and hurting other people, and destroying other people, because of a murmuring, complaining attitude. And listen to me, we've got to understand that is something that God hates. He punishes that. We need to simply be satisfied with Christ and what he's doing and what he's accomplishing in where he wants us to go, in what he wants us to do. If we know him like we should, we, would, we, we should... Then, then, then complaining about what we don't have, we ought to realize what we do have in Christ. If we knew him like we should, we wouldn't complain about what we don't have. We'd realize what we have in Christ. There's times... Um, there's times when tragedies like have happened with the son family. It just causes you to take a step back. And you know what it does? Is it causes you to appreciate what God's given you. My son is away on the senior trip. And I sent my son, and, and I don't, I, him and I are not real mushy. You know, most of it's just a, you know, pound on the arm. I said, you know, be good. I'll kill if you don't, you know, something like that. But I sent him this text, and I just, I forget exactly what I said. I just said, son, um, I love you. I miss you. Be safe. Make good decisions. Follow the Lord. He sent a text back. Thanks, Dad, I love you. Sometimes when you see tragedy, sometimes when you see things happening in other people's lives, it ought to cause us to take a step back and say, you know what, God? Thank you. The, the spouse that I have, thank you. The kids that I have, thank you. The job that I have, thank you. The the life that I have that I was just complaining about and murmuring about, and what I was saying is, God, you're not sufficient and you're not enough, and what you have is is just not, I need more. We need to just take a step back and say, you know what, God? The more I get to know you, the more I become satisfied with the provisions you've given me. And then we don't lead us into fornication, tempting Christ. It doesn't lead us into murmuring and complaining about what we don't have. It causes us to want more of Christ. In verse number 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Just griping, just complaining. It cost them their life. A a disgruntled Christian, a disgruntled child of God, a follower, it cost them something. But a a disciplined Christian, you know what, is a happy Christian. It's a happy person. Because Jesus says, my joy I give you. The deeper you get in Christ, the more you abide in him, you know what will happen? Your joy is full. Because you know what I realize? Joy doesn't come from temporal things. Joy comes from time with him. Joy comes from Christ. And the closer I get with him, the more I abide in him. You know what I find? There's no room for murmuring. How do I complain when I've got the joy of the Lord? How do I complain when I'm abiding in him? You see, it's perilous because we run the risk of running after the world and the flesh because what the devil uh, dangles in front of us becomes perilous. And then lastly, and quickly I close with this, it's also a personal matter. Look with me in verse number 11 of chapter 10. Now, all these things happen to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. Aren't you glad about that? But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. It's a personal matter. You don't ever have enough of God till you've had enough of yourself. You never get to the place where you've had enough of God until you have had enough of yourself. Verse number 14, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. He says, when you get to the place where you're tempted, flee, turn away, run. You see, it's a privilege to be with Christ. It's perilous and always personal. You are the only one that can live it by yourself with the aid of God. Your walk, your disciplined life is up to you. You can't put it on someone else. You can't blame someone else. We, we like to blame people, don't we, if things don't go our way? Well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It would be different if they would have. No, no, it's personal. You're the only one that can live it by yourself with the aid of God Almighty. Are you interested in living a disciplined Christian life? Is that what your desire is? I'm saved. Do you want more? If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, being able to give to someone else, you've got to live a disciplined life. I said this to someone just recently, you only can give what you have. All of my kids love swimming. and I remember at a certain age, all of them wanted me to teach them how to swim. So we might go to a, you know, a, somebody's house or you know, swimming at a, a, a pool at a hotel, maybe on vacation or And all of them, I remember distinctly, all of them at some point, like, Dad, teach me how to swim. You know what the problem is? I can't. I don't even float. I sink. Dad, teach us how to jump off the diving board. I won't. I remember when I was 16, the, the, the year that God called me to preach, was also the year, maybe maybe this is why I, I surrendered, it was a year I almost drowned at camp. We were, we were at camp, and we we're out at the falls, and, 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 and we, I didn't realize how deep it got, and all of a sudden, I can't touch the bottom. And I grabbed this kid, and instead of him helping me, he said, get off of me, and he threw me farther out. And I remember, I'm dead. And somebody, somebody grabbed me, and and I would have been dead. And so I got back to the chapel that night and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, you know? And really seriously scared the fire out of me. And, and um, I, um, I remember that. I, I, in my, there's times I've like literally said, I have a fear of drowning. So when my kids say, Dad, teach me to do this, you know what I say? I can't. Ask your mom. I can't help you. You see, you're only going to be able to help somebody with what you have. If you truly want to be a disciple of Christ, a disciple that is discipling others like we're commanded to do, you have to have a disciplined Christian life so that you have a life to offer, a life to give. How are you going to teach someone to pray if you can't pray? How are you going to teach someone to study when you don't study? How are you going to teach someone to be pleased with the life God's given you when you complain every time life doesn't go your way? How are you going to teach somebody to be satisfied in their marriage if you're not satisfied? How are you going to help somebody in their walk with the Lord if your walk with the Lord isn't enough for you? You have to always have something else. You see, it's a privilege. It can be perilous, and it's personal. It's personal. In each one of us this evening, we have to decide, I'm going to run this race because this race is worth it because of the gospel's sake and the prize is Jesus Christ is pleased with you. Many Christians go through life selfish. They think they're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the farthest thing because they're not living a disciplined life. They're living it for themselves. We're not going to disciple, we're not going to reach this world and turn this world upside down and disciple others to have the right relationship with Christ until we decide that we're going to live a disciplined life. Father, help us, I pray.